Welcome to Spook Pod. This is Courtney. And this is Emily. Well, one of us is. Courtney just got distracted by... Oh, it's my computer. <laughs> my computer is making a really loud noise, but that's okay. I can edit that out. However, there might be some... Actually, we're pretty good today, but there's been construction going on next door to me. So if you hear anything, but I don't think you will today. But anyways, just a little heads up. You might just hear some birds from my end because, you know... And that's a they nice cheat. sound. I can't stop it. Yeah. <laughs> They're not my birds. They're just... Wild, wild birds. <laughs> Have my windows open. For some fresh air. Yeah. Well, I had to turn my fan off for this, so. Right. Windows open. All right, Emily. Well, I have a case for you today. That's good, because I just woke up and I'm useless. <laughs> it is called the Dog Walker Killer. See, this just bums me out. I know. I Dogs don't need this <laughs> shit, man. They're just trying to have a good day. I like wrote down here in my notes, like the first thing I need to say is don't worry. No dogs get hurt in this story. I would stop. Courtney yeah. would be telling you this case on her <laughs> own. I can't do it. I was literally, I think it was New Year's and I was watching a movie and my sister was like upstairs for some reason. So it was just me and my brother-in-law and um, my nephew and my brother-in-law likes all movies like regardless of what the content is so he's just like amped up to be like watching movies and he's going through all these movies that we could be watching or whatever and i'm familiar with some and not others and so he turns this one on from like the 80s which i'm fine with but um it starts and it's like a disaster movie and there was a dog and i was like i'm gonna say right now dude if this dog dies during this movie i'm gonna cry a lot and i'll probably leave the room <laughs> and he was like oh i don't think it dies Uh-oh. and i was like that's not good enough you need to know <laughs> so many people are like that like they can't way handle more that emotional sensitive. trauma yeah like i know so many people like that my mom's like that too like she just can't handle if an animal gets hurt she doesn't care if a human gets hurt in a movie but an animal no i, I can't never cried watching like a human sad movie until i was like in my 20s because something like really hit me in the feels but like <laughs> up until that point i think my mom thought i was dead inside cuz i would like watch <laughs> these like horribly sad movies and be fine with it but then old yeller comes on and i was like uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> no we can watch it up until the part where old yeller saves the day and then we're going to like phoebe from friends <laughs> and, and then we're going to turn off. off the movie yeah. <laughs> And happily ever after. Yeah, I knew that this story would ruin you if if that was the case. So don't worry, that's not the case. No dogs get hurt. Um, Excellent, you may proceed. Yes. <laughs> uh, but this case, so like moving away from the animals of it, I mean, the, the animals don't actually play a very big role. Um, the animals play just... the most important role. They always <laughs> true, the most true. important feature. <laughs> They're the best characters. Um, but I think this case is interesting because it brings up a part of law or criminality, I guess, that we haven't discussed so far. 
I think anyways, on this podcast, which is like the insanity defense or why do people getting get off? Um, what am I trying to say from like repercussions? Like if they're insane, you know, and like, what are the qualifications of it? Yeah, so just mental health because, and like, crime overall. At least in North America, it's very hard to argue. It is. It's a high bar. Insanity. Yeah. yeah. Like, you have to meet a lot of criteria to Yeah. Which is a good thing. Like because someone probably lost their life or was or seriously injured or hurt or whatever during the process of this crime. Like for you to be on trial with an insanity defense, someone was hurt or lost their life. So yeah, it is a big deal. And I think that it is important to have so many criteria and so many, men, <clears throat> so many mental health professionals with their hands on this. Um, because yeah, I don't think it should just be like, a, I was feeling insane that day and I... Yeah, got away with murder. <laughs> no, definitely, <laughs> for sure. So we're going to discuss uh, some of that today in this case. But let's begin with the details. So this case is pretty recent, actually. It happened about three months before I moved to the Netherlands. So our story begins on Saturday, May 4th, 2019. And sometime between 2.30 p.m. and 3.30 p.m. that day, a 56-year-old woman named Etsuko, I hope I said that okay, she was originally from Japan, but she moved to the Netherlands, um, and Etsuko leaves her house, where she lives on Nikolaistrat in The Hague with her partner, and she takes her two dogs on a walk, something completely normal to do, uh, as I'm sure that you relate, Emily. You got a dog, yeah, you take dog it on walks. All the time. He refuses yeah. to poop in my yard, so I have to, like, walk him until <laughs> every other dog I've had is like, yeah, let's go in the... No, this one. So he's walking all the time. I get it. This was a really common occurrence, of course, for Itsuko. And because it was such a common occurrence, many neighbors knew her by sight, like, what she was up to and where she was off to. And they knew her two dogs as well. So one of them was just like a fluffy looking guy and the other, which was a black lab, was actually disabled and he could only walk with one of those wheel carts, you know? Stop it. <laughs> which is like really cute, but also hurts my heart when I see a dog in one of those carts. Do you remember Josie? I didn't until you just said that. <laughs> she had no front legs, right? Yes, I think it was no front legs. She was a chihuahua with no front legs. We were obsessed in We University. were obsessed with Josie. <laughs> I, it was, was just like... the way the guy said her name, too, wasn't it? <laughs> I liked the face plant that she did in the little video, because she had these two little wheels as her front legs, and then she went to get a treat, and she just, like, face planted. Oh, she was so cute. She was so cute. Anyways, so what Itsuko would do, because she had this disabled dog... She had a Bachfeetz, which I want a Bachfeetz so bad. So if you don't know what a Bachfeetz is, it's like a big bicycle type thing that a lot of people have in the Netherlands, but it has this huge compartment on the front that you can put things in. So like Courtney talked about this for so long when she first moved to the Netherlands. I really like want almost one. every conversation we had for multiple days <laughs> was about this stupid bike, which I don't even understand the concept of because we don't have them and I am too lazy to Google it. So I was just like, mm-hmm, well, nice box Google bike. It. Hope you get it. <laughs> I think I'd be really bad at driving it. I've tried before. It's not easy. But yeah, because it has this big compartment on the front that you can put things in. Sometimes they have three wheels. Sometimes they have two wheels. 
But yeah, anyways, so Atsuko would put her black lab into this Bach Feats and um, her other dog could just jog beside her and then she would cycle away to the spot where she could walk her dogs off leash. So she didn't just like walk her dogs in the neighborhood. It was like an outing where she would load them up, take them to... um, She actually went to... Shaving and boss. I can't say that. That was not good. Shavings. <laughs> yeah, I can't say that. The forest that is in the Hague. <laughs> she went there. Uh, it's a really popular spot there to walk your dogs and stuff and stuff. So yeah. But unfortunately, today this would be the last walk that she would ever take. About an hour after she left, a passerby in the forest found her body. She had been stabbed about 30 times. Uh, This is a tiny bit graphic. One of her pinky fingers had been cut off, and she was by her Bokfeets when she was found. Her black lab was there with her in the Bokfeets, and her other dog was found a short while later in the forest. And she was just 10 minutes away from her house. Like, that's it. Uh, Both dogs were checked out by an animal ambulance, but again, they were okay. Just making that clear. Nothing happened to the dogs. Still, their mom get murdered. Yeah. Probably, you know, a little trauma. A little stress. A little stress. But this was a really shocking crime in this community. A woman is just taking her dogs for a walk and she gets murdered. So obviously, like a big search began right after this to see who could have done this. The police released Atsuko's photo to the public, and dozens of tips flooded in after that. They were asking also for anyone who maybe had pictures or videos that they had taken in the woods to see if they had Atsuko in them, uh, so that they could try to establish a time a timeline. So, yeah, this investigation is going on. Now, four days later, on Tuesday, May 7th, 2019, Something else terrible happened. And this happened in the province of Limburg. So that's literally like across the country from The Hague, where Itsuko's murder happened. Although, of course, the Netherlands isn't very big. So for perspective, it's about like a 2.5 hour drive from The Hague to the city in Limburg where this took place. The second event took place. And that was in a city called Brunsum. Brunsum has a nature park type area called the Brunsummerheide. And many people go there, again, to walk their dogs off leash, you know, explore nature. And on May 7th, a young woman was walking her dog there around 11 a.m.-ish in the morning when she notices that she's being followed. It's a young guy following her and she is immediately freaked out. At one point, she thinks she loses him, but then he, like, pops out and she looks at him straight in the eye. And she actually greets him and says hello, but he didn't respond. He said that he, he, like, did, like, a weird, creepy laugh. And from here, she's really freaked out and she starts to walk away, like, faster. But the guy is still following behind her until finally, at one point, he just takes off and she doesn't see him again. At about the same time in this park, two other people are out walking their dogs. 63-year-old Dini Mayus. She's walking alone with her dog in the park until she comes to a big open field. 
Dini lived around the corner from the nature park, and she was described as a very normal grandmother who volunteered at a daycare. She was happily married, regularly went traveling in her camper with her husband, and was just a really good, kind person. And the other person doing the exact same thing was 68-year-old Franz Verhees. He was out walking his dog, too, when he also came to this same big open field. And so this must have happened in a very short time frame. Both Dini and Franz were stabbed to death in this open field, ambushed at almost the exact same time, and they're within like 50 to 100 meters of each other. Dini had stab wounds on her head and torso, while Franz had stab wounds and many defensive wounds as well. And again, during and after the attack, both of their dogs stay by, stayed by their side the whole time, which is like, cry, cry. It's so sad. And it also kind of makes you wonder if perhaps like Franz came upon what was happening, because if he had defensive wounds, like maybe he had more of a chance to react than Dini did, perhaps. Like, it just seems like... So so close together, maybe he saw something happening and tried to like come over and help and was just overpowered. Yeah. And then shortly after this attack, there was another dog walker named Rob Verwash. He enters this field and he finds Dini dead. And he immediately calls the police and waits close by until they arrive. So after they arrive, he's trying to get out of the police's way and he walks on. And he finds Franz's body. Like, can you imagine? Like, this guy found both bodies. He's just like, I'm never going to yeah. dog walk again. <laughs> like, what is happening? So he, like, yells to the police to come because there's somebody else. And, yeah, I don't know. I think that's so crazy. And I also kind of think, like, it makes Rob, or, yeah, Rob, it makes him look suspicious, even though he doesn't have anything to do with it. But just the fact that he, like, found both bodies, it's just so weird. Yeah, I like, and if I'm him, right, like, you find the first one, you do the right thing, you call the cops, you stay there, you're like, hi, this is everything I can offer you. And then you just like, I'm gonna be over here if it and then you stum and like stumbling across the second body you must you know, just be like it's well like... I can't tell them <laughs> I can't oh, like, tell them I found oh the my second god body. like what do I do like uh good on him for just like immediately being like hi over here as well yeah. there is, uh, because that you know that does put so much suspicion on you as the person could you imagine if there was a third and he had like walked yeah. off and like yeah, oh my god like, that's yeah, like, like a rule that if you find a body you're immediately a suspect and yeah. the fact that he found two like that's just that's crazy yeah uh so yeah the police arrive paramedics arrive but unfortunately there was nothing anyone could do both dini and franz died on their walks that day uh again the dogs were looked at by the animal ambulance and they were okay and another investigation began after these murders. Also, so, if you're that first girl and you go home and you watch the news and then you see yeah. two people after creepy laughing, you're like, oh, my God, I like <laughs> yeah. was 80% of the way to being murdered. Yeah, like, I'm literally like about to talk about that. More. Oh, <laughs> so creepy. Uh, so, yeah, like a whole army of detectives, they combed the Brunsummerheide, putting up red and white police tape searching for evidence 
And it was a pretty big investigation, obviously. They had more than 25 investigators assigned to the case. And they did a news broadcast, which brought in 16 tips. And one of the tips was from that young woman who came forward to say that she had been followed by the creepy guy when she was walking her dog, and it made her feel very scared. And the perpetrator, the guy who did this, I haven't spoken about him yet, but he would later say that this young woman was his first intended target, but then he decided that she was too young, and he moved on from her. Isn't that weird? That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, So now we're going to shift gears a little bit, because in and around these murders that took place, there was something else that was happening within a family and a young man's head in the Netherlands. So a young guy named Tice H. uh, You can find his full name online if you wanted to, but I'm just going to call him Tice H in this podcast, because that's what all the news articles referred to him as. Uh, He was struggling. He was a pretty smart guy. He had a bachelor degree in cultural anthropo- anthropo- I can't say anthropology. <laughs> you got it. I'm saying that. Uh, from Leiden University, and he was working on his master's degree in industrial ecology at Delft University at the campus in The Hague. Uh, so he was described as soft-natured and friendly, a bit of a wallflower. And he sometimes struggled socially. So he'd been diagnosed with ADHD and autism. And one of his roommates said that he had some dark moods sometimes and would spend a lot of time alone in his room. He also said that he would avoid the kitchen when Tice was in it because he just gave off an uneasy vibe and he'd rather just avoid him. Now, Tice did use drugs pretty regularly as well, which had started in middle school. But a former employer of his said that he was kind, driven, and social. He said, quote, he came to the barbecues and parties we organized and combined his work with two degree courses. So, like, overall, he's, like, pretty normal, right? Pretty normal guy. He struggles with some stuff. We all do. I mean, you could very much describe me similarly. Like, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I don't have the diagnoses of ADHD and autism, but whatever. But you could, I would fall under a lot of that description. Yeah, same, I think. So yeah, he, he was pretty normal overall, pretty normal. I mean, also, I need media. to like, just like, asterisk, I don't use drugs regularly either. I feel like that is... <laughs> I feel like that's an important one to slide in there. I'm mostly sober. <laughs> Good. <I'm... laughs> Let the people know. <laughs> yeah. So he was pretty normal on his social media accounts, too. He described himself there saying, I'm an outdoor-oriented person. My hobbies are surfing, jogging, and playing the piano. And he was about 25 years old at this time. So as a student in 2017, about two years before the murders, Tice started experiencing some complaints. He became listless, he had trouble concentrating, and he was always tired. And then in the summer of 2018, his mental health really deteriorated. He no longer had a grip on his emotions, and he began researching like personality disorders or things like that, just trying to figure out what could be wrong with him. He said, quote, I felt lost. I felt that I was not myself. In August of 2018, he started to feel some psychotic symptoms as well. 
and he went to a mental health care clinic. Uh, but he didn't really tell the doctors how deep it went at this point. Like That's he- kind of frustrating because, like, okay, you reached out to get mental health help. But tell them what's also, going on yeah like you need to let people know like and there's such a stigma around mental health and i'm like yeah but something's wrong with you and you know something's wrong with you go in and be completely honest about it like if you're there to get help anyways just tell them what's going on like yeah they can't help you if they don't know <laughs> i mean it's so hard like he did tell them he was like experiencing psychosis and like stuff like that but yeah i don't know i mean it is a little embarrassing so like he he firmly believed that the world was run by psychopaths who communicated in a code language. And he saw this code everywhere, like in television shows, news programs, even license plates. He would like read messages and like defer meanings from it and stuff like that. Uh, but he also thought that if he told someone, his family would be murdered. So like he's checking himself into treatments but not giving them the full story because he literally like that was part of his delusions. He thought that his family would be murdered if he like talked about these psychopaths that rule the world, you know, he was prescribed some medication at this point. Um, although I don't think it was for psych- like psychotic symptoms at this point. I think he got a different medication. Um, but about a month later, in September 2018, after a night of using drugs and drinking with his sister and a friend, he had a complete breakdown. And here, a psychiatrist diagnosed him as suffering from psychosis, which was caused by stress and cannabis use. And he was prescribed antipsychotics at this point. He only took them for about a month before he stopped. And then in early November, he attempted suicide. He said that he thought his friends would kidnap and torture him. So it was just better to just off himself as an alternative. That's what he believed. Good grief. That's like a lot. That's like a lot to unpack. Yeah. On May 1st of 2019... His parents visited him in The Hague, and they noticed that he, like, was really not okay. Now, if you remember, so this is May 1st that his parents came. Atsuko would be murdered on May 4th. Now, it's not exactly known, like, the state he was in at this point. I think he was still functioning a little bit. But his parents did call a mental health clinic when they visited uh, that had previously treated him. And I don't know if it went deeper at that than that at that point. Like, they did call someone, but I don't think anything happened. Uh, on May 2nd, he went out for dinner with his parents, and it was at this dinner that he received an assignment in code. He didn't know what the assignment was exactly at this point, At first, he thought that he had to attack his parents at the dinner table. But then the next day, on May 3rd, his assignment became more clear. He was told to kill two people. And he said that he received this message through car license plates. That's so weird that, like, the brain can do that. Yeah. Because, like, 
And here's the thing. I like, I'm pretty sure we've all like played the license plate game growing up or like, you know, you're looking for like certain patterns here or certain things there or like, and you know, like, so your brain does do that stuff and it yeah, does do that stuff patterns, naturally. Sure. And it's so interesting that when someone has like a psychotic break that like the brain is still doing those things. It's just doing them in a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting. So, as fate would have it, the next day, on May 4th, Tice attacked and killed Itsuko when she was out walking her dogs. He said that the reason he cut off her pinky finger was to have proof to the psychopaths uh, that he had succeeded in a killing. But then he was like, then I realized I couldn't put the finger in my coat, so I didn't do anything with it. And I was like, what? (laughs) What? Uh, After he committed this murder, he went back to his student housing in The Hague, and one of his roommates heard him coming in and thought that something was wrong with him, and he goes to see what's up, and he sees Tice just, like, smashing the bathroom door. And his roommate, like, tried to talk to him, and Tice was just speaking gibberish. Like, he he couldn't communicate with him at all. The roommate thought that he was just really drunk and left him alone, but at this point, his parents came back and they picked him up and they brought him back to his childhood home because they're like, okay, like something's wrong with him right now. Like we have to help him. So they bring him back to his childhood home, which just so happens to be in Brunsum, where the next two murders are going to take place four days later. That makes sense. Makes sense. So when his parents pick him up this time, like he's way worse than when they saw him just a couple days ago. He's psychotic. He's acting possessed. He's scaring the shit out of everyone. And his parents took him to an emergency psychiatric facility on May 5th. But two psychologists there, they said that it was just a side effect from his ADHD medication and they don't admit him. Mm, That's a mistake. On May 6th, he is still completely out of his mind, so his parents drive him to another psychiatric clinic. This one is called the Mondrian Mental Health Institution. And here they they beg, basically, for their son to be admitted. And again, he is not. Like, that's so strange, too. Like, two parents, they're being like, he's not okay. You need to help him. Something's seriously wrong. And a mental health facility being like, Yeah, he's fine. So in his own mind at this time, he is receiving messages that he failed his assignment. Like he was supposed to kill two people, but he only managed to kill one. So he is still planning to kill more people at this time. He thinks that he has to do like two at once. The next day, May 7th, is the day that Dini and Franz are murdered around 11 a.m. After that happens, Tice shows up once again at the Mondrian Institution. He's alone this time, but he has blood on his hands and clothes, which he said was from a fall when he wandered over to the Brunsummerheide earlier that day. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mm-hmm. say a thing about killing people, but the people at the clinic are suspicious at this point because, yeah, he just said he was in the Brunsummerheide. He's covered in blood. I don't know if at this point they knew that murders took place there, but at some point they're going to find that out. 
But the clinic does not initially report anything to the police when Tice arrives. But they do put him in a closed ward. So it seems that that's what it takes to get admitted. Just Just a little bit of random blood on you in a really sketchy story. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But things get a little crazy here. So I don't know exactly how closed this ward was because Tice escaped. He used a stack of chairs to climb over a wall in the garden And then he went back to his parents' house, still in the bloodstained clothing. His parents would bring him back to the clinic later, but when they bring him back, there's a bit of a difference in Tice. Now he's cleaned up, he's not wearing bloody clothes anymore, and that evidence would be lost because his parents washed his clothes and backpack. And another thing that is a bit odd The parents decided after they dropped him back off at the clinic that they would drive to his apartment in The Hague and tidy things up there. So there is speculation that they knew that Tice had done something at this point. It's so strange, like the lengths that parents will go to even when they think something's seriously wrong. And it kind of makes me think of the Gabby Petito situation Mm -hmm. where Brian Laundrie's parents like are so annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I can't, like, it's never been proven. But the things that they did and the actions that they took don't speak to people who thought their son was innocent. Right. And so The trial for them is starting in two months, I think. Yeah, and so it's just, like, pretty reminiscent of that, that these parents will go and, like, they know something's wrong. Your son comes home covered in blood that's not his. You don't just wash that down the drain. And, like... It's just strange what people will do when they're scared and it's their child and, you know? Yeah. And I think that, yeah, parents and children is a hard one. I think it's this is way, way more common than we think. I've heard lawyers talk about it. and They'll say things like, yeah, the parents told me something and then I put them on the stand at a trial and they just completely lied because they're just not willing to, like, be the reason that, yeah, their child gets locked up for life or something like that. They're just not willing to do that. Even if they know they're guilty, even if they know they did something wrong, that's a hard bond to break, right? And I also, like, I think it has something to do with knowing that person came from you because you're kind of like, well, how could they be psychotic if we're not psychotic? Like, you, do you know what I mean? Like, you're right. just, you have that difficulty, like, well, they were made of, of parts of me, and, and like, how could they be anything but perfect? And, you know, like, yeah. I think it's just a really challenging headspace to overcome. But yeah, it's just, it's interesting how, how far parents will go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the next day, on Wednesday, May 8th, Tice somehow escapes from the psychiatric institution again. Can I just say, I don't have a lot of faith in this institution now. He's escaped (laughs) twice. They refused to admit him the first, like, three times when there was something clearly wrong. And these murders could have been prevented if he had received proper psychiatric care. Continue. Sorry. just. (laughs) And this time, to escape, he literally walked straight out the front door. Like, it was seen on surveillance footage. He just left. Just walked out. And so now no one can find him. He didn't go back to his parents. Like, this isn't a rehab center. This is literally a psychiatric institution <laughs> yeah, with people like, who potentially have dangerous mental health issues going on. And he's supposed on. to be in a closed ward. And he just wanders means. out the front door like, what is this place? Yeah. <laughs> Do they lose um, their license after this? Because they should. <laughs> well, at this point, uh, they did report him to the police, at least. 
So. Oh, hunky dory. They did one thing right in the entire, like, what month period this has been? It's actually only a couple of days, but I'm angry about it, so I'm going to say it's a month. <laughs> Uh, so when the police get wind of this potential suspect, they start like working, of course, to put the puzzle pieces together. And later that day, they release Tice's image as a suspect in all three murders. They warn people to be on the lookout for him, but not to approach him because he's possibly unstable and clearly he's dangerous. Uh, but releasing the image pans out really well because someone reports that they see him and within an hour he's arrested because he's not stealthy no like, this he's, guy is just, he was like, just wandering, wandering around about. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was just wandering and they so yeah they handcuff him bring him to the police station and don't worry he no longer escapes uh so he's 27 at the time of his arrest and for the first few weeks after his arrest, he denies having anything to do with the murders. In fact, he's still kind of confused at this point, and he's thinking that he's, like, in on helping the police find the murderer. So he's, like, talking about how they're a team and they have to work together to, like, solve this case and stuff like that. Okay, again, though, anyone who's watched any kind of crime procedural knows... That when the police are like, yeah, come help us out. They don't do that. So they think you're guilty. That's well, 100% what confused. this is. Dude is very confused. Yeah, but the but in this t- interim, in the time in between this, the police are building a pretty solid case against Tice, of course. like Because he wasn't covering his tracks no, at all. Not, because he was in the all. midst of a psychotic break. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Obviously, it makes sense. Like, the, the crimes happened in two different cities, but obviously they're connected, and Tice was in both of them. Uh, a knife at his house in The Hague tested positive for having Itsuko's DNA on it. Various witnesses came forward saying that they saw him at the crime scene around the time of the murders. Uh, even, like, Tice's mom gave a whole bunch of her, like, kitchen knives for the police to test to see if they're Oh, now she's being helpful. A little bit, yeah. Mm. Uh, he also had some interesting searches on his computer. So things like, why do good people do evil things? How should you behave as a psychopath? And how can you fool professionals such as judges and police? That's such an amateur Google search and such a dumb one to do on your personal computer. Go to the library. <laughs> Is that how you do it, Emily? <laughs> I don't know. I don't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, Tice confesses. Well, at first he says he doesn't remember anything about the murders, but that he was involved. But then it slowly starts to come out that he does remember. And he tells police like how he received the order to kill so then after that he went and killed itsuko and then after killing her he said his courage gave out and he couldn't do a second person that day but then of course the messages in his head were telling him like his family would die if he didn't kill two people he also said he was using a lot of drugs during this four-day span when the murders were happening and when it came to the two murders in Brunsum, he said he first attacked Dini. Quote, there was no one around. I ran to her, stabbed her from the back several times. He then went looking for his second victim. I thought, I have to do it this time. Otherwise, I will lose more relatives. 
more is in reference. He had an uncle that died in April, so he was worried more of his family would die. Uh, he came across Franz and attacked him. Quote, I ran toward him, stabbed him from behind, but he hit me with the dog leash, but I kept going. After the murders, he said that he was very upset, but also somewhat relieved. Quote, it was over. License plates cheered me on after that. The messages on them said, good job. Again, I don't think I'm the type of person who would relish in approval from license plates. What a weird thing to fixate on, bro. It is weird. I have a friend who like notices like angel numbers, like every time there's a license plate that has like four 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 or seven seven seven. Like she always. Well, yeah, but like that's kind out. of a version of the license plate game, right? Like, yeah. Like we literally like I find stuff in license plates all the time, like little things. I'm like, oh, that that kind of spells this. Like I have um a guy I used to work with, and I'm only gonna say part of it because it's his license plate and nobody needs to be tracked. But he used to have. <laughs> a custom plate and it like said something i don't even remember what it said but it was like a custom plate because you could do that in canada i don't know if you can do it elsewhere but you can like get a plate to literally say something like big daddy smoke or like what like you can get it to say (laughs) something silly or something like that is your name or like whatever and so he had one and then he didn't like it anymore because it was like from when he was younger and it was a silly one and i can't remember what it was but he went to get it changed and when he came back He had just happened when he had gone in to get a license plate that had the letters C-S-T-M on it. So it kind of spelled custom still. Uh. I mean, there was other letters and numbers involved, but like, I just thought it was really cool that it still kind of said like C-S-T-M. And I've seen other plates besides his that had that. So I think it was like a run of plates that they must have done that had like those letters and then the numbers. But I used to make a joke with him that I was like, oh, yeah, you went to get a plate that wasn't custom and you came out with a custom plate anyways and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, like, like it's a thing that people do. You find things in license plates that, like, but, but seriously right. to, like, you know, to get murder messages, I just don't think I, I would listen. <laughs> yeah, like, what you, what license you plates me, don't license seem, plate. yeah, <laughs> license plates don't seem like they have that much power over the world, so I'm just... <laughs> Did you know nobody in the Netherlands gets, like, the custom plates here? It's, like, not a thing. Yeah, I I didn't think so. Like, I feel like it's a very North American thing to yeah. have a custom plate. Like, I of know course, you can do it in the States. Yeah. <laughs> we're such assholes. Um, I know you can do it in the States and in Canada, but I've never seen a European plate that was custom, so you I was pretty sure. You can do it. It's possible, but it's, like, really not, not cool here. It's Yeah, people think that you're, like, a huge loser if you do it, and I think it's, like, insanely expensive well, I mean, I it. still think people who do it in Canada are huge losers. <laughs> like, I don't need, I don't care that I'm driving Sorry behind grandpa. No, plate. no, because the only people who have custom plates are douchey dudes in their teens or grandmas who it's like, Grandma Mitzi. And you're like, I'm driving behind or Grandma just Mitzi. Divorced and then people. I feel oh like my God, just yeah. divorced people always get them. And it's like, this is the freedom car. And you're like, okay, no. <laughs> Go back to whatever hole you climbed out of. And just put yourself back in it. <laughs> uh, so Tice was charged with three counts of murder. And the question, like kind of the main question when this case went to court was, was Tice legally insane when he committed these crimes or not? And of course, that would change the course of what happened to him. If he was determined to be insane, he would just go to a psychiatric facility where he can easily walk out the front door. I'm not sure that's a great place to send him. Sorry, I'm still mad about it. <laughs> but if he wasn't insane, he would go to prison. 
I think it's like a really interesting topic to determine if someone like hits that criteria or not. I don't know. And it's not one that everyone fully even understands because yeah, you can say things like obviously there's something wrong with him if he committed murder, therefore he needs psychiatric help, right? But you but, can say that about so many people who commit crimes yeah. and they don't meet the insanity threshold. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like we said, the bar is quite high. And it seems to be like what that defining feature is, is like, does the person know that what they did was wrong? And that can be really hard to tell with a person, right? Like you can't read someone's mind. So you have to look at like other things in the case to just kind of make a judgment. Like, do you think that they knew what they were doing was wrong or were they just acting on a complete whim and not even... Even some of the things, he like his Google searches, like how do good people do evil things or like um, even when he said like after the murders, like he felt kind of bad, but then he was fine. Like, so there are things that are like, yeah, he felt bad and he probably thought it was wrong at a point, but when he was actually committing the crime, did he know that it was wrong? Right. It's, yeah. Right. Like, that's so hard to determine, too. Right. So, um, yeah, the first two days of court were just, like, solely dedicated to assessing his mental state uh, and whether he could be held accountable. So the prosecution argued that while, yes, like, he did have a clear mental problem, that it wasn't enough to d diminish his responsibility for the crimes. They thought that he was faking, like, the level of how psychotic he was. So the prosecution was arguing for 24 years in prison for Tice, along with the mandatory psychiatric treatment. And this is actually, like, a pretty high sentence compared to ones that we've seen in previous cases. Like, they're arguing for 24 years. I feel like we we normally see, like, around 20 years, 18 years, that's it. It's also really interesting to me because, like, I think in Canada, it's a thing that you can have, like, multiple sentences for each individual crime. And I feel like that's not as common in the Netherlands. Like, because I, I think, like, they would, like, do each, like, you know, 15 years for one murder or 30 years for a different right. murder. And then you end up having a combined sentence. But I feel like they don't do that, at least not in the cases that we've looked at, um, where they, like charged separately for all of the murders yeah i feel like i've only seen it in one where like somebody got like an extra year added for having child pornography or something like that i feel like that is a memory <laughs> but yeah so this was the prosecution's argument they said that tice did have some knowledge that what he was doing was wrong and like you said emily one of the points was the internet searches like how should you behave as a psychopath and how can you fool professionals such as judges and police? Obviously, that makes it seem like he's out there to trick people. And when you have an actual person who is like fully psychotic, they're not even thinking about tricking or fooling people or researching how to do that because they literally just are that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're too far gone mentally to have the capacity to actually be thinking about things like that. Another thing that I think is interesting is how he said that the young girl in the park was his first intended victim, but then he decided that she was too young. Like again, people who are fully psychotic, they don't 
think like that. They don't choose their victims like that. Well, they also like there might be a process for choosing a victim. But there is a set of rules that is operating in the psychosis that you are choosing people by. So if the girl is too young, you don't maybe understand that that's one of the rules. You would just not even try to kill her in the first place because she doesn't fit the profile of what you need to be doing. So there wouldn't be like that that moment where you're following her around and thinking, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. There would just, you would never even clock her as someone that would be a target, right? Like it would just happen. Right. So he's like... Yeah, he's, like, choosing his victims. I always think of, like, um, you know, the case in Canada, the Greyhound murder. Do you remember that one with the guy who murdered someone on the Greyhound bus? Well, I vaguely recall it just because people used to tell me not to buy tickets for Greyhound. Um, (laughs) But I don't actually remember, like, the details. So this is, like, the case that I always think of when it comes to, like, the insanity defense. Uh, So, yeah, there was a man on a Greyhound bus... Uh, in Canada, I don't, I don't even remember. It was like traveling from BC to Alberta or something like that. I don't remember, but uh, he was sitting beside this guy on the bus, and like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in front of everyone on the bus, he just starts like stabbing the guy beside, sitting beside him, and acting really weird, really insane. The bus driver pulls over. Everyone runs off the bus. They just like lock him on the bus. But it was just, like, a full psychotic, like, event. And there were there were some really clear examples. Like, they said that he was just, like, a robot. Like, he had no emotion in his face or nothing. Like, um, and that guy actually did end up, he didn't go to prison. He did get the insanity defense and he went to a psychiatric institution. And actually, I think now he's, like, allowed out on, like, day trips and stuff like that. Just not on a greyhound. Oh, that was a bad joke. Okay. And there were a couple other things, too. Like, he brought a suitable knife with him that he knew could murder someone to the parks. Uh, He left his phone at home so that he couldn't be traced. So that shows planning. And he went to specific places where, like, he knew there wasn't going to be a huge amount of people, but there was going to be... At least some people there, you know, like these parks and recreational. Yeah, he wasn't just wandering around and like selecting a target based on He wasn't just on a Greyhound bus. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. So, like, he's still having some cognitive ability here, like with planning, and that does diminish like the full psychosis thing. Uh, The prosecution were really, they were pretty harsh. So, they said, quote, There are also doubts about the reliability of the suspect's story and that of his family. There is no objective data to confirm that story. Therefore, we not only have an incomplete story, but in our view, an unreliable story. In addition, the suspect himself had at least a hand in the development of a possible psychosis because despite warnings, he frequently used drugs and took medication that was not prescribed by a doctor. And then the prosecution went on to criticize his parents a lot in court. They said the parents knew that he was struggling with his mental health, yet they just accepted that he, like, left home alone on the morning of May 7th 
And then he like returns some hours later covered in blood. Yeah, that's the one I struggle with because up until that point, you could just be like, we didn't know. We like his friends called us. We came and got him. He seemed okay, like whatever. But you've tried to admit him into a mental health facility multiple times now. And then the seventh rolls around and you just like let him wander off. Again, I'm going to come back to the Gabby Petito case because when Brian Laundrie went missing and they were like, yeah, we just let him go off onto a nature preserve on his own, even though he's like under suspicion for this. Because at that point, like they were looking for him and his parents like knew that he was at this like nature preserve and they were just like, whoop de doodle. And obviously he's not in the best mental state. Like, yeah. Brian Laundrie, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and and it gets worse. The prosecution said, um, like, by then it was already known that two people had been killed in the nature reserve, and Itsuko's murder three days prior was also national news. So it should have at least crossed the parents' minds that their son had something to do with it. They should have called the police. Instead, they washed his clothes and the knife... And when Tice was admitted to the mental health institution, his parents went to his apartment and tidied up. They said that this was really strange and it also disrupted the evidence. So yeah, pretty harsh from the prosecution. Pretty harsh. 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 (laughs) On the opposite end, Tice and his lawyers were saying that he was in a full psychotic state. They were arguing for him to receive no jail time, only psychiatric treatment. A couple points on their side was that the experts were fully agreeing with them. The experts said um, that Tice's drug use was like a symptom of his psychosis, not a cause. And actually, just as my own opinion to throw it in here, I don't really like how the prosecution said that Tice had a hand in developing the psychosis because he took drugs. Like, I think we need to be better as a society in seeing that drug abuse can be a mental illness in and of itself that you can't always control. Not to say that that diminishes your responsibility, but I don't know. I just didn't like how they said that that was, that Tice had a hand in it. And like I mean, like so fault. many people, so many people self-medicate with drugs because our healthcare system is not doing the job that it needs to do. So I, I don't think you can put that on the person either, right? Like right. he turned to drugs because of what was going on mentally and because he wasn't getting the help he needed. So right. I also think it's interesting that at this trial, like the experts were fully on his side, saying he was fully psychotic. Like, that's interesting to me because they wouldn't admit him, right? Like, if they're saying, yes, he was fully psychotic, like, why was he getting turned away so many times? Like, that's an issue. Yeah. But yeah, so the experts testified, like, he had a very deep psychosis. He was not in control of himself at the time of the murders. His roommate couldn't even speak to him. It was shown, like, he was talking gibberish. He also showed up at the psychiatric facility covered in blood, so he wasn't trying to hide the blood or anything. Like, he didn't wash his hands, um, although he did lie about where the blood came from. So that's a point against him, too, I think. Yeah, because wouldn't you just say, like, oh, it's from the people I just killed? Yeah, like, if you were truly, you, you would just yeah. tell them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was basically the two arguments on both sides. 
Uh, in court, Tice told his confession again, and he expressed remorse after listening to statements from the vic- from the victims' families. Uh, Dini's family, in particular, was very vocal, and it's really sad. So Dini had a twin sister, and she said, "Dini was murdered. My life has stopped. Why did you do that? We did everything together." Dini's husband called Tice a monster, and said. She was my life. She made so many people happy and she had so much to live for. And her daughter said, you didn't just take my mom, but my best friend too. Yeah, that's so sad. Yeah, super sad. Um, And the relatives of the victims, they were also suing civilly for damages. So on July 30th, 2020, Tice was found guilty of all the murders and he was sentenced to 18 years in prison and the mandatory psychiatric treatment. He was also ordered to pay the relatives of his victims $103,000 in damages. 103 103,000 euros. Euros, did I say dollars? Yeah, and I was like, that's different. That's more. It's more. It's more. So as the final statement, the court agreed that yes, Tice did have psychiatric issues, but they were not as serious as portrayed by him. And they did believe that he exaggerated a little bit in an effort to escape jail time. In March of 2022, Tice appealed his sentence. And this time things went differently and very badly for him. Don't appeal. Don't appeal. I feel like (laughs) it's kind of, does that happen in Canada where you appeal and you can get it like worse? I don't think so. I feel I feel like yeah, that happens. I feel like all it's you either here. you either get reduced or you stay at the same level. Like you don't get a worse cuz it's uh, kind of like yeah. double jeopardy a little mm-hmm. bit. Although you're not getting acquitted. I don't know. I don't know how that works in Canada, but here here things can change for the worse for you. So in this appeal trial, the experts were not fully on his side this time like they were before. New experts re-examined him, and they said that full psychosis could not be diagnosed with complete certainty. And this time, the prosecution was asking for 30 years in prison, whereas before, they only asked for 24. And his sentence ended up going from 18 years to 22 years in prison, again, with the psychiatric treatment. So, yeah, he got four extra years Again, the Court of Appeals ruled that Tice was only partly under the influence of a mental disorder during the murders. He was mentally ill, but his actions show that he knew he wasn't allowed to kill people, uh, again, for all the same reasons we mentioned before. Uh, But this is funny. So um, this actually means way more prison time for him than just the four years, because... The laws in the Netherlands changed between his first and second trial. So, you know, Emily, we've talked about this in cases before. Like, if you had good behavior and did your treatments and all that jazz, like, you could end up serving only two-thirds of your sentence in the Netherlands. Yeah. They changed that law. So the new rules are that your sentence can only be lowered by two years, not a third of your sentence. So this means before, when he had 18 years, he could have got out in 12 years. But now with the new rules, like he has to serve 20 years in prison and that won't go lower. Damn. Yeah. So he basically got like eight extra years 
Uh, he does still have appeal options available to him at this point, so I don't know. Maybe he'll keep trying to fight it. Maybe that won't go in his favor. I don't know. Don't appeal, I think is the... <laughs> <laughs> And after this event, the government was called to intervene in mental health care because as we saw in this story, there were some stunning flaws that they made that really at, like resulted in the murder of two people, right? If they had put Tice into a psychiatric facility, assuming he wouldn't have escaped, yeah. then lives would have been saved. Yeah. Right? Experts um, in the government, they said that psychiatrists who looked at Tice gave way too much focus to his autism and ADHD diagnoses without giving adequate attention to his apparent psychosis. He was not admitted twice Again, because everyone was just saying, oh, this is just a side effect of your medication. No big deal. Like, didn't even take him in for observation. Was just like, it's the meds. Yeah. And also, like, he had recently had a change in medication. So he should have been monitored more closely because that is, like, a really big determinant and driver of psychotic behavior. Like, if you're changing medications, that messes with you. Yeah, like especially if it's for uh, a mental health situation. Like, yeah, your 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 mental state can change. Yeah. So multiple parties in the D Dutch government said it cannot be explained that the cries for help from Tice's parents were not taken seriously. Murders could have been prevented. That is a horrible conclusion, especially for the loved ones. The Netherlands has a pattern in which disturbed persons do not get help or receive help too late. In general, we see the same mistakes again as with other murders. These are not incidents, but structural errors. Risks are not properly assessed, information is not shared, and appropriate treatment does not take place. Uh, so hopefully we see some changes regarding mental health care in the future. Hopefully people, you know, I do think that society is like working on getting better at this. Like this is a problem small in a lot steps. of countries. Yeah, there's yeah. small steps being taken every day, but it just, yeah, it does need to get better. Ultimately, yeah. we are failing. So <laughs> yeah. And failing worldwide. It's not just the Netherlands that does this. But but yeah, mental health is important. So that can be our overall message for today. Stigma sucks. Yeah. And we're going to leave you there. And we'll see you back again in a little bit for another case. Until then, have, have a lovely time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of Spook Pod. New ones are out every other Friday. Available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to chat? Email us at spookpod at gmail.com or follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at spookpod. For a full list of episodes, more deets, or to see what's coming next, visit our website, spookpod.com. This has been a presentation of Mostly Awkward Media. See you, see next, you next time! time.